0: I am Sierra Forbes and I am what we used to call the ECW now we're calling it the Diocesan Women's Ministries and I am the deanery director for the Charleston and for the Charleston West which is downtown on over to I mean Charleston Charleston and on over to um, the islands um, east of here and we are having our annual meeting and I know annual meeting you think it's another meeting but this is going to be a great speaker that I would just encourage you, the meeting's not gonna be very much of a business meeting because there's not a lot, we have not been as active this past year to have a lot going on, but it's mainly about have women fellowship and have the speaker and also usually we have communion and it's a meal afterwards. It is gonna be at um, um, Georgetown, April 29th, Saturday from 10 to two, Gloria Kawashi, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her last name right, who is married to the Bishop in, of Nigeria, he is Anglican, she is going to be speaking. Um, a few weeks ago, Jeff Miller referred to her, um, his to her husband in Sunday school. But it says on here from Gloria's book: When Ben Kawashi proposed to Gloria, he wasn't expecting to find himself the father of more than 300 children. But she wasn't expecting to have her first home burnt down, to have all of her belongings eaten by rats, or her savage or be savagely beaten and raped by men, and and sent to murder her husband. She had chosen the name Gloria when, when as a girl born in a ditch, she decided to follow the one born in the stable and dedicated her life to bringing him glory. Little did she know what would, her life would involve. She is over in the states doing some fundraising and raising awareness that she has um, what's called Gloria's safe haven. She's trying to build a safe haven, raise money for a safe haven for women or for young women who want to continue their education but are afraid to stay in their homes because they're afraid they're gonna be raped. So she has a safe haven for women. So this is what she is about. So I would encourage you, don't think about it being an annual meeting. Come and think about it as a time to meet other women from the diocese and hear and support Gloria. It is $15 for the lunch, and I heard that St. George does really good food, the women there. And it's going to be, at, like I said, April 29th, and it's going to be from 10 to 2. There is going to be something in the Inspire about it there is a registration form that we will get out if you are interested too. Thank you all so much, and I hope maybe you can come to the meeting. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Sarah. Um, My other announcement is about tea room. Um, We have our annual tea room the week of April the 3rd through the 7th, and we still need a few more volunteers. We need some wait staff. Um, some bus staff, some greeters. So there are some forms on your table if you have interest in volunteering, we would love your help. Um, Or you can also volunteer on the church website. You can go straight to the, we have a sign up genius this year. We sort of stepped into the future a little bit and now you can sign up online. So um, that's been really helpful. But anyway, we need help with that. So we would love any volunteers, but if you don't want to volunteer, we would love it if you would just come and have lunch with us. So it's a great, great time to come and good food and it's a great week. Um, So why we're here, Um, Cassie, I want to introduce Cassie Dodge. Thank you so much for coming um, and speaking. She has been a low country girl all of her life, except for one year she spent in New York City. Um, She married her college sweetheart, Robert, who was actually Gator Phillips' college roommate. So um, Cat and Gator are good friends with them. Um, And now she has three grown children, um, and she has been the women's ministry director for 12 years um, at St. Andrews in Mount Pleasant and has currently, I mean, has recently retired. So we welcome you, and we're very excited that you're here. And so just welcome her. And while she speaks, you can eat. So thank you.
2: Mind if I just put that podium right there, and I'll put my books there? I'm just too short behind that Nancy, do you want me to start? Okay. Okay, ladies, I I, I'm afraid that you. I'm so short. I didn't think you'd see me. This. <laughs> so we've just um, improvised, and um, I do want to say it's really an honor to be here. Um, to come to a church that has literally stood the test of time, as you all know. And um, another reason it's really sweet for me is this room really is filled with, I mean, beloved friends for decades. And the sweetest part is now I see their children here. So um, I love them, and go Tigers. I will say that. Um, Nancy told you a little bit about me. I have had kind of a big year I had celebrated 30 years being married to my Clemson Tiger sweetheart. Um, I have Empty Nest for the first time. My youngest is a freshman in college, and I have two grown children. I have my sweet mama and my grown daughter here with me, and my sweet little St. Andrews friends. I've attended St. Andrews for 50 years this year, so I know some of you have been at St. Phillips that long. and I did um, serve on staff for 12 and a half years. And I absolutely loved every solitary minute with being five, with 500 women for 12 and a half years, which is pretty big to be able to say that. I absolutely loved it, but it was really time to sit down. I just, it's just a little bit about myself. Um, so I wanted to read you an article Oh, and I wanted to say also, it's really sweet for me that Mark Boutin is here because he was a rector at St. Andrews when my husband and I had moved back to Mount Pleasant and started our family. So that that was real sweet to see him here tonight. But I wanted to read you an article from the New York Times Sunday Review, and I'm talking about something that is really pretty near and dear to my heart because in 12 and a half years, of working specifically women and probably 20 years of doing women's groups. Um, This is the Martha and Mary story, how to get a grip on your life story, is been, was pretty much just a prevalent conversation every solitary day in my office. How can I, my life doesn't feel like it's flourishing. I feel so overloaded. Um, What does a flourishing life look like? Um, What do I do to get there? And I thought this um, article kind of speaks to that, and I think you'll understand. I'm not going to read the entire thing because it's pretty long, but you'll, you'll get the gist. See if you can relate. It's written by a guy named Tony Schwartz, and it's titled Addicted to Distraction. And he says, One evening early this summer, I opened a book and found myself reading the same paragraph over and over, a half a dozen times before concluding that it was hopeless to continue. I simply couldn't marshal the necessary focus. I was horrified. All my life reading books has been a deep and consistent source of pleasure, learning, and solace. And now, the books I regularly purchased were piling up on my bedside table. Instead of reading them, I was spending too many hours online checking the traffic numbers for my company's website, shopping for more colorful, colorful socks, even though I had more than I needed, and even guiltily clicking through pictures with irresistible headlines such as awkward child stars who grew up to be attractive. And I have done that before. Raise your hand if you've not clicked. <laughs> During the work day, I checked my email more times than I cared to acknowledge, spent too much time hungrily searching for tidbits of new information. He goes on to quote a fellow that says, the Internet is designed to be an interruption system, a machine geared to dividing attention. Fragmentation of our thoughts. Addiction is a relentless pull to a substance or activity that becomes so compulsive it interferes with everyday life. And by that dish definition, nearly everyone I know is addicted in some measure to the Internet. So he decided to see what he could do about that um, for himself. He said his initial commitment was to limit my own, life, own my, my online life to checking email just three times a day. By mid-morning, I had completely broke down, and I was like a sugar addict trying to resist a cupcake while working a bakery. The article ends, and I promise this has a point, the article um, ends that he did go on a little journey where he did a complete um, digital free vacation for a week once a year, um, and he said, I finally feel committed now to taking at least one digital free vacation a year. I have the rare freedom to take several weeks off at a time, but I've learned that even one week is deeply restorative. But occasionally I find myself returning to a haunting image from the last day of my vacation. I was sitting in a restaurant with my family when a man in his early 40s came in, sat down with his daughter, perhaps four or five years old, and adorable. Almost immediately, the man turned his attention to his phone. Meanwhile, his daughter was a whirlwind of energy, restlessness, standing up on her seat, walking around her table, waving, making faces to get her father's attention. Except for brief moments, she didn't succeed. And after a while, she glumly gave up. The silence felt deafening. Um, I think it's just all too relatable. I'm not reading this in judgment because I've battled the same thing myself. Um, It's just really easy to trade companionship, relationship, human connection for something or some things that aren't necessarily needed. And I think right now the ability to be connected and available and in the know at all times, I think we thought it would enhance our life. And I think we're probably asking ourselves, is that really so? Because um, we have a culture that's screaming for our attention. I read something recently that said, sociologists now call American culture the culture of not enough. Now imagine that. And we have so much. So much choice, so much, but they, they literally cause the culture not enough, And the reason being is, never enough time, never enough sleep, never enough money, never enough prestige, never skinny enough, never successful enough, never doing enough, never productive enough. And I'm sure you could probably all fill in the blank about how you feel. They call it a culture of scarcity. Um, so it's really easy to lose touch with what's really necessary? you know, for a flourishing, fully present life. Um, and what I always did with my girls back at St. Andrews is look to see what, it, what does God have to say about this. And generally, I always go back to the beginning because um, I really do think Genesis and 1 through 3 is the blueprint um, for, our, for our life and who we are as human beings. So I want you to think about Genesis, and I know most of you have probably read it, but we see our Creator has provided all that is necessary for a flourishing, fully present life. Out of love, he created a beautiful world to live in. He made man and woman in his image and actually mandated them to multiply, to bear his image and multiply out more of him to the world. So the God of the universe actually partnered with man to love the world. He placed the man and woman in a garden full of natural resources meant to be enjoyed and cared for. Everything that was needed to quench their hunger and thirst was provided. He gave them responsibility and work was initially intended to be a good thing that you wanted to do. Can you imagine? He gave them the Sabbath and he actually was a God who rested with the man and the woman. He actually help them celebrate their need to be dependent on him to to have a rhythm of rest Um, but most importantly he provided companionship and friendship Um, the creature with the creator and he meant it to be a life of abiding and I think that word abiding sometimes it sounds kind of churchy and like what does that really mean but I think original meaning is to cling to, to catch if by pursuit, to cleave to, to remain in. And I think what he was initially calling his us and him to be always intimately connected in the all of our life. I think we can sometimes think it's a separate um, church thing we do, but it's really meant to be in the all of our life. So the man and the woman had it really sweet at the beginning. And all of it was given freely out of love. I mean, there was nothing they did to earn it or deserve it. So with the creation of a woman, thank the Lord for the man. Um, not only did he have connection with his creator, but now he had connection with another human being. And all of us know that they desperately need us. Um, I think it's, we're, we're meant to be um, relational. We were meant and created to be helpmates and relational. So I would say we have a picture of a flourishing life that at the center was fully present and engaged relationships. However, you all know there was one prohibition. There was one no. Now, there was all yeses in the one no. You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And because God loves them, he warns them. Because love warns. Um, Love also gives you a choice to obey. So now we have the choice of obedience. We get to Genesis 3, and y'all know how the story turns out. Eve gets distracted, very distracted, um, by a snake and makes the, tur- uh, the, makes the very bad mistake of turning her attention from God's voice to the snake's voice. And when he asked her, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? At that moment, he began to create doubt in her mind. And now the woman questions God's goodness. Maybe this is not as good as it gets. Maybe this God is holding out on me. The snake tells her, you know, God knows if you do this, you're going to be like him. And so she does what I think we can all do. I think she thought, I'm entitled to whatever else um, he's told me I can't have. And in the meantime, as you know, the man stood by and watched. And the next thing you know, her temptation turns to full disobedience. Um, She got deceived because she listened to the wrong voice. And I think that's so easy in our own culture with so many voices vying for our attention. It's very relevant in a very old story. So she turns from ultimate dependence and obedience to her creator to doing her own thing. And it's so interesting because autonomy and independence in America is basically celebrated above really everything. Um, It's really almost shameful to need or to be dependent. Well, when this all happened, a terrible relational relational consequence occurred. And there was a breach in the relationship. And you know, sin and shame entered the picture. And Adam and Eve sitting together did not draw them closer. It tore them apart. Buck passing, blaming, all began to start. And so we know it went terribly wrong and we had a problem starting in Genesis 3. But we also had a God who was still in his grace and mercy, despite consequences of sin, had a rescue plan. And he mentions it in Genesis 3.15. He says, I'm going to make this right. There is someone who is going to come. He's going to rescue you. He's going to restore you and do what's necessary for you to know a full abundant life now let's fast forward a few thousand years and look at where we are now and i would say we're the bigger bigger more more faster faster culture um it's a culture that i i feel like cult is courage is cultivated an image to be shared with a lot of friends online when frankly and i found this in my job i'd have these young girls come to me and they online and say all their friends have little babies and they're like god why does their life look so together and they're all got cute outfits on and they're going to supper club and they all look like they're having fun I can't get my clothes on my kids are acting terrible my life is falling apart I mean I would have to tell them it's an image we can all make that whatever we want it to look like but is that really real Um, so are we missing real life and real relationships to be artificially connected And I am not saying social media and technology in and of themselves are bad. We have to tender our work emails. You want me to have a phone that lets me know if I'm going too long? (laughs) I think it would take Jesus and all of his angels to rip these out of our hands at this point. So that's not what I'm saying. But I just want you to, you know, do a little heart check and ask yourself, where's technology sabotaging my time unnecessarily? Where is it distracting me from real connections with God and people? I'd say we also have a culture that tells women you can have it all, be it all, do it all, and this is the worst, especially getting into middle age. Never age and look good all the time while you're doing that. Now, how's that going for all of us? It requires a lot of product. Something or someone will always be sacrificed on our our altars of doing it all, being it all, and having it all. Where is unnecessary time and energy being expended to maintain appearances? We also have a culture that sends you a message that you must be productive, that you are infinite, that you have no limits. Certainly you can do it all, all day long, give, give, give. I don't know if y'all struggle with that, but I, even now, now that I don't have a job, I'm like, is it okay that I don't have a job? you know it's 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 hard now I have a daughter who I wish I could be more like her she feels very fine with herself having plenty of margin in her life she's so much more mature than her mother I found it very hard to feel okay if I wasn't constantly producing being productive serving going 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 um maybe you can relate It's unrealistic expectations we put on ourselves and each other. And frankly, when we were created in the garden, we were created as human beings, not just human doers. We're finite and we do have limits. But I think a lot of times, and I see this particularly with our young people that needs, limits, being finite, so often bring shame and cause their self-worth to plummet. So ask yourself this. Where have you fallen for the lie that there should not be any limits to what I can do. I have the capacity to help everyone. I am the only person available to help. I must never make a mistake. And I have the ability to change another person. I'm pretty sure only God can do every one of those things. Um, Last little thing is I do think we have a culture that holds in high esteem, and I'll call it the four Ps. Most people call it the three, but I've added one. Because this is what I saw in my job a lot. The pursuit of power, prestige, perfectionism, possessions. All those things tend to send a message that if you have these, your life is going to flourish. Um, however, I think when they became, become a means of identity, when they are a measure of your worth, they are going to disappoint you. You just, you can't keep it up. What happens when you lose one of those things? Um, also, the four P's can be taskmasters because they require you to serve them. They take your time, your resources, your emotional energy. So ask yourself this. What are the four P's driving your identity and a feeling of worth that's holding you captive to earning love and approval? It will, it will drain you, whether you realize it or not. So moving from the Old Testament and where we've been in our culture, we're going to look at where, what was happening in the New Testament, and we're going to look at two sisters who are really every ordinary woman like, like we are, believe it or not, that, but they actually have a friendship with the one who is living, breathing, and walking among them, who has come to rescue them. So in Luke 10, we find Jesus traveling with his disciples, and he's making his way to the cross and he makes a stop at a little town called Bethany, and it's outside of Jerusalem, and it's the home of Martha and Mary. And I know a lot of you have heard the whole Martha and Mary thing. I, usually when I hear this, people will say, well, are you a Martha or are you a Mary? And then I can never remember which one is which. <laughs> but I think that's generally how we see it, and it, and it almost gets looked at as Who's getting it right and who's getting it wrong? And I don't really think the stories about who's getting it right or getting it wrong. I think Martha and Mary probably had their good days and their bad days. Um, But these are two sisters, and they are the sisters of Lazarus. Um, Remember, he was the one Jesus raised from the dead, pointing to his own resurrection. So while I read it, I just want you to imagine yourself in this story. I think a lot of times when we read Scripture, we forget these were real people in real time. They were in a real specific time in history and culture. So just think about where you see yourself in this story. And this is Luke 10, 38 through 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. It's kind of interesting if you read this story in the context of that whole chapter in Luke 10 because right before this story, Jesus has just sent out the 72 followers to serve in his name. They are not going to be sitting at anybody's feet. They are serving in his name. Then it's the parable of the Good Samaritan, where it was a despised Samaritan, remember who got Jesus's um, praise for serving and taking care of a man beaten up on the side of the road. So the Martha and Mary story is kind of, is on the heels of people who are Praise for sacrificially serving, you know, moving, doing. And now we get this story of two sisters, and it's the one who is not serving that's getting the applause. Have you ever kind of resented that? <laughs> so what's up with that? It's very clear from, the, from three places in the gospel that these sisters are part of a family that Jesus really loves, because there's three or four other places that he talks about them. One is where... They're having a dinner party, and Martha is serving, and Mary is anointing Jesus' feet. But right before you think Mary is the more spiritual one, when Lazarus is lying in the tomb dead, Mary stays home grief-stricken, and Martha is the one who goes out and meets Jesus and, and declares that he is Jesus, the Son of God. So I really believe Martha knew Jesus, loves Jesus. But you know what, girls? We can just have a bad day, and we can just forget. And on this particular day, I believe Martha got caught up in performing, serving to earn approval and love. I wonder if her tank was on empty. Um, I saw a lot of empty tanks among 500 women, a lot of worn out, really empty tanks, Um, and a lot of not being aware of it. I think sometimes our fast overloaded pace, you quit you lose touch with how tired you really are, how much energy you're expending, and a lot of time on things that aren't life-giving. I just wonder if that's where Martha was. Um, does she really need to overdo the hospitality and miss an opportunity to learn from Jesus who's sitting right there with her? So while Martha's distracting from much serving her, Sister Mary is sitting at the Lord's feet, as it says, and listen to his teaching. Mary sitting at Jesus' feet is really a very humble posture and picture of what I think surrender and abiding looks like. Um, and it, frankly, was really pretty nervy of Mary in this particular culture. I mean, women did not sit with group of men. Jewish women were not allowed to be disciples of rabbis. They were generally didn't receive religious education. But this was a different rabbi. This Jesus came along. He included women, and he cared about their treatment. He attributed worth to them. How healing that would be for the women who followed and befriended him in a time when women were not seen with much value. There's lots of places in our world still like that. So sit... Mary did and to the resentment of her sister. And I'm sure to the disapproval of those who saw her breaking rules. How can she just sit when there's work to be done? And I feel sure as followers of Jesus in part of the Jewish culture, they knew the great commandment. They knew what Jesus had been saying to love God and serve people. Those are the main things you're supposed to be about in this life. If you want to think about what your purpose is, that is, that's it. That is your purpose, to love God and and to love his people. So I know that they knew all that. They knew to, to receive and be loved, but also to serve and give love. But I just think Mary, it was a receive day for her. And Martha was not having it. She didn't like it. And, you know, I can relate to Martha. I'm the oldest of four kids. I was raised by an incredible cook and hospitality wonderful mother um tradition i mean i'll just tell y'all something in case you don't know it my nickname is casserole (laughs) (laughs) i can overdo with the best of them i can know not I, i can know i know what it feels like to get it over my head and not know when to stop so i relate to martha I really, really do. Because you certainly want to look your best. You don't want to look lazy. You don't want to look like you're doing your part. I mean, this is the South. But I also know how painful it is to surf from an empty tank and for the wrong reasons. And maybe, like us, Martha was just too distracted and busy to know how worn out she was and how much she needed to be sitting at Jesus' feet. If you look at the definition of distraction, because remember it said that she was distracted, it means unable to concentrate because one's mind is preoccupied. The King James Version Dictionary defines distraction as literally to draw apart, to pull in different directions and separate. How often do we miss opportunities to be loved, to receive, to enjoy because our attention is so divided? It's just very human to choose work and performance over a relationship. So, Martha, forgetting the needs of her own soul, serves, but it's a snare. And notice how she got resentful. And she even complains. Can you imagine complaining to Jesus? I mean, like, she forgot. <laughs> this guy created you. I mean, she forgot, starts complaining. Why have you left me to serve alone? In her distraction, anxiety. I think robbed her of perspective, and I think when we get overloaded in the performance rut and the earning approval, merry-go-round, it's just so easy um, to grow resentful of others, self-pity, loss of intimacy with others, and we just say and do things I don't think we would normally do or say. Martha was doing a good thing, but it was just done from a disordered heart. Jesus gently corrects her, tells her the truth of the state she's in, anxious and troubled about many things. Do you have someone in your life who will tell you the truth in love? Jesus loved her enough to be honest about what ailed her. I I saw this a lot. If you're in isolation and you're not in community, you can tell yourself anything you want. Um, It's just so good to have trusted people in your life who will tell you the truth you know, you're in over your head, you're not yourself, I'm worried about you. I mean, he created us to be in community. He didn't create us to be in isolation. It's really important, so easy to isolate. Um, But he didn't condemn her. He just reminded her there's a time to let go of perfectionism, performance and duty in order to abide, just to remain in him. Mary just made the better choice that day. You know, I think a lot of times we don't want to stop, really stop, and sit at anybody's feet. Because sometimes I don't think we want to know the truth of ourselves, our frailties, our fears. You know, if you stay really, really, really busy, you just don't really have to deal with your life. And you wake up one day and you've got layers upon layers upon layers of unresolved pain, exhaustion, unresolved, you know, unforgiveness, um, grief. And it catches up with you. I saw it all the time. Um, what if we got quiet before God and quit running through our day long enough to hear Him speak? And I can't say it any better than this lady. Her name's R- Ruth Haley Barton. She says it like this One of the most important lessons I've learned over the past few years is how important it is to have time and space for being with what's real in my life, to celebrate the joys, grieve the losses, shed my tears, sit with the questions feel my anger, attend my loneliness. This being with what is is not the same thing as problem solving or fixing because not everything can be fixed or solved. Rather, it means allowing God to be with me in that place and waiting for him to do what is needed. When we don't attend to our vulnerabilities, instead try to repress it all and keep soldiering on. And we Southern girls can, I mean, I can flat soldier on with the best of them we get weary from holding it, holding it in. And eventually, it leaks out in ways that are damaging to us and to others. I had a, um, a really beloved therapist say to me one time, Cassie, empty is empty. If the car doesn't have gas when you get in the car, it's empty. You can't drive it to the gas station, <laughs> Cassie, because it's empty. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? I think we just get overwhelmed in our life and we forget to receive. I mean we need somebody to bring the glass can and fill the car back up before we can drive again. I'd say that's sitting with the Holy Spirit. He didn't just die for us to survive life and soldier through. And if you want to know how to receive from him and really invest in fully flourishing relationship, here's a few things that'll be necessary. It will be necessary for you to take time to abide and receive. That can look like solitude, which is so important, silence, Bible study, prayer, community worship. But I think we can make a mistake in the church to say, I did my abiding and I went to church and that was here, and then think God isn't out here with you. Abiding is actually something you can be present to all day long. And your work, your play, I have to just throw this in here. I, I was very blessed to go to the national championship with a bunch of Phillipses, And um, I have to tell y'all, you can abide in a stadium with the people that you love, with pure joy, just a gift from God, nothing we earned or deserved. Just think about that for a minute. Just something wonderful and fun and a shared experience. There is abiding in that as well. Do y'all see that? Think about the places you can invite him in and let him be a part of it. It's in the all of your life. It will be necessary to know and accept your limits. It will be necessary to learn when to stop the madness and absolutely use the word no. It will be necessary to examine your motives. Are you serving to look good and earn approval or out of God's asking? It'll be necessary to know your red flags for when you're overloaded. I would make my girls at St. Andrews, (laughs) we'd have this big piece of paper, and I was like, okay, girls, you have 100% energy in your tank. You do not have 120. There is 100, because you're a finite human being, so you're going to expend it emotionally, physically. So how do you know when you're in overload? And it was so fun to get all the responses. Well, I cry easily, you know, um... I resort to bad coping mechanisms. I kind of fall back into bad habits. I'm just not as nice to people. I tend to want to isolate. Like I, you know, go to the grocery store and like run when you see somebody you can't deal with. <laughs> Done it. Just more bitter, more critical. Some girls said, I, I cuss more. <laughs> or maybe you just are numb and flat. Feeling in pain and not sure why. Y'all, these are gifts from God. I know they're not fun and they're painful. He is not up there mad at you. He is trying to get your attention. He's trying to get you to hear him. He's letting you have those, that pain so you can turn around and come back to him and sit at his feet like Mary did and say, I am finite, and I can't take another step till I let you love me and fill my tank back up. Those are gifts from God. And finally, it will be necessary to, to, to surrender. But don't forget, you're surrendering to someone who loves you and has your best interests at heart. I don't think Mary would have been right to never serve or sacrifice. We're called to sacrificial service. Um, Jesus made that very, very clear. But I do think sitting at his feet, um, a life that starts with him is where we should live the all of our life. And I think Mary just knew it that day. I think she just knew she needed to worship before she worked. I think she knew only he could restore her soul. And you know, she didn't serve and work to earn the right to sit down. See, I'll do that too. Well I'll let make sure everybody sees I'm serving and doing and doing and doing. So if I do sit down, nobody can blame me because it's my turn. It wasn't like that. Would you do that to your child? If your child just needs to crawl up on your lap, you're not wondering, did you do what you needed to do to earn and deserve just to be in my lap? You just want to love your child. It might not even say anything, but it's restoring. I just think Mary knew that the most necessary thing was to rest in Jesus' mercy and free gift of love. We're getting about done. Um, The reason I think I can really relate to this is about 14 years ago, I was, I was benched, very benched. Um, I was just strolling along in my life with three kids, a husband was busy and baseball. Oh, yeah, that's the other thing this year I don't have is for the first time in 20 years is baseball. <laughs> um, and something painful happened. Like I know you've all been through painful things that impact your family. And it really impacted one of my children particularly and felt like I just need to be more available and then i felt like the lord said oh i want more than that i don't want you to do nothing now girls i have been leading something you know serving at something volunteering at something working at something from the womb mom (laughs) probably from the womb um so this was shocking to me like what and my youngest was getting ready to be in school full-time. I was like, well, I don't have any excuse. I have a kid in school full-time. Now, what are those Mount Pleasant Academy mothers going to say about me when I'm not up here volunteering? But I, he was talking pretty clearly to me, and I was like, okay, I'm going to try to do it. Well, y'all was terrible at it. I cheated all the time. I mean, and it was miserable. Every time I cheated and I go do something he never called me to do and then expected him to give me the energy to do something that he didn't call me to do. Well, finally, about six months of this, I was miserable. I was like, okay, I, I just, I'm, gonna, I, I, I'm bad at this. And I'll tell you what, I was bad at it. I didn't have my identity sorted out. It was very much based on performance and what I could do. And to have all that taken away made me have to take a hard look at myself. And, I, and one day when I was actually doing it right, <laughs> I wouldn't say I heard audible voice, but I will tell you this. This is what I heard the Lord say to me. Cassie, you're going to stay benched until you realize that I'm going to love you if I never ask you to do another thing for me. Because your value is, is because you belong to me, not because of what you can do for me. Wow. So about, for about four months, I got really good at it. Like, I loved it. I got really good at it. And thank the Lord, because I got a phone call from my rector at St. Andrews, and he said, would you like to come take care of 500 women? I had a full tank, and my identity sorted. Fourteen years later, I've been benched again. Cassie, I know you love what you're doing. It's going well. That season's over. This time, and it's not been without some tears, but I could walk away. Because I learned my lesson I figured out you just know what's best you just know what's best and I'm going to do it I'm going to do it your way this time Lord it's been much easier to surrender because he's shown me that he knows what's best and and my well-being and y'all really nothing has changed since the garden surrender and dependence are still keys to deep flourishing life and relationships and I want to close with a picture of what I think this looks like. Um, what surrender, dependence with God looks like. Um, I don't know if y'all know it, but right after the regular Olympics in Rio, they had the Paralympics. Did any of y'all watch it? Well, one night my husband and I were watching. It was the men's five thousand meter, and it was bl- it was it was blind runners. So I'm watching it. Robert and I are watching it, and. I'm so confused. I'm like, I couldn't tell who was blind. and like, I, was, I thought they were all blind, but they were, going, they were doing the course. I mean, I had no idea they couldn't see. And Robert finally said, Cassie, they have guides. I was like, what do you mean they have guides? He goes, every blind runner has a, a guide tethered to them. I couldn't even tell. I mean, I could not even tell. They look like they could have been in the regular Olympics. I, I couldn't even tell. Well, I read an interview from a guide. And when the guide was interviewed, he shared that what is necessary is for there to be communication and trust built between the blind runner and the seeing guide. He also said that he makes the blind runner aware of his surroundings, and with trust, he positions the runner to run freely. But the runner is tethered. He cannot go his own way or disconnect from the tether to run his best race. He must be surrendered to the one who sees all he cannot see. He must commit to practicing and building up trust with the one who does see, the guide. It's a necessary thing to be connected to the tether because the blind runner is aware of his limits. And those limits position him to receive the help and the guidance of the guide. He flourishes in his race because he's tethered to his guide. I just want you to think about, in closing, do you know that when you became a believer and you were in Christ, I forget this, no matter how feeble your asking was, no matter how big of a wreck your life might be, no matter how far you think you've gone from him, when you believed, Romans 5 said that living love in the person of the Holy Spirit was poured into your heart to make Jesus known to you and to make you permanently tethered to your creator. And I think it's so easy to forget that. Permanently tethered. There is nothing you can do better or worse to change that. What you can do is you can ask that Holy Spirit who makes Jesus known, who is there to help you abide, who is there to help you figure this all out, who longs to give you a flourishing life, what you can do is ask him to give you a deeper awareness that he lives in your heart, that he's made a home in your heart. Back to our article we first read, Jesus did what was necessary. He did not get distracted. He did what was necessary and paid the price for you to be able to sit at his feet. And he served our deepest needs on the cross so that we could enjoy A flourishing friendship with him. He wants to be tethered to you. He delights in being tethered to you. And the most necessary thing you can do is just to say yes to the invitation. I want to close with, um, I'm going to read Psalm 23 from the message. Um, And the Psalms are the prayer book of the Bible. So I'm going to read it as a prayer. And I just want you to think about it, because what I love about Psalm 23 is it reminds us that the the, the great shepherd was actually Jesus. He was the only one who could restore our souls. So um, let's pray. Father, I thank you that um, you never intended us to soldier through and bear burdens all alone never intended for us to figure it all out by ourselves. I thank you that um, in your mercy you have sent your spirit to live in our hearts, to equip us and empower us, to give us wisdom and encouragement. And, Lord, I thank you for um, Jesus, who is our shepherd. And, God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. You have laid me down in lush meadows. You find me quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, you let me catch my breath and send me in the right direction. Even when the way goes through Death Valley, I'm not afraid when you walk at my side. Your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies, and you revive my drooping head. My cup brims with blessing. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. So, Father, I do ask that each woman here would come to you and ask what it would look like to be led to the still waters and, um, and to find rest in you. Father, I pray you show each of us um, what we might need to sacrifice and say no to to know a deeper dependency and more flourishing relationship with you. pray blessings on each lady here. We ask all this in Jesus name. Amen. So what I got Nancy. this one's still
1: on? Thank you so much, Cassie. That was great. let another round of applause. Thank you.